hear the word of God uh, from a selection of passages about worship from the New Testament. And uh, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. <clears throat> Luke 24, verses 45 through 53. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are the witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and the songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Praise God for his word. Good morning. I'm Danny, the international students pastor here at uh, Waypoint Church, and it's a pleasure to be with you and preach the word and be part of this worship service. Uh, as I got to prepare, I just was, what a joy to, to preach about worship. 
Uh, our lead pastor, Lawrence, and his family are out of town this weekend enjoying some rest, and we uh, pray for them as we launch into the fall and, and start our new series on 1 Corinthians uh, next week. But for this week, we're looking at some of the values we have as a church, and one of our values is worship. And to start this morning, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something that gets you really motivated to give everything you have to it. When was a time when you, you gave it all to something? Something got all your devotion and all of your energy. Um, I'll be honest, I went to college in SEC land and college football consumed me and kind of college consumed me. And I loved it. My team won last night. I stayed up late watching them, but it, it was just, I loved it. I loved, my freshman year was a little tough, you know, getting to know people, but once I got in a groove, I, I just loved that. And it, it did consume me and it became an idol in my life. And I literally had to ask God, how can I, you know, love something so much, but love you more, God? And, and so that, that was just one example in my life. Um, I, but I do remember, I, even in my love of college football, when I changed my major, I realized that I had to, I would, uh, it, I had to graduate quickly. So I took 20 hours, I was on quarters, and it, then I was motivated by saving money and not going into debt. So my love of college football and, and the social life shifted to a love of graduating as fast as possible. And I gave all my energy to this and took extra classes so that I wouldn't have to take extra quarters uh, and accrue more debt. In April of 2017, we wanted to move from Raleigh to Durham. I, I, work, I serve at Duke and I serve here at Waypoint. It was time to, to move. We had lived in Raleigh for about five years and a real estate agent came to our house and he's like, the market's hot. And he's like, if you do these things, your house will be worth this much more, which would mean that we could invest that in our next house. And it might, I grew up with a dad who was handy. So I was like, okay, I can do it. I had no idea how long it takes to paint trim indoors. I will never paint trim indoors ever again. I mean, it, but I did it. And I, it, what, we, what we thought was a three week project was really six weeks of my life. I literally would go to Duke, do the international student ministry, and then just come home and just knock it out. And I, I, I literally 7 a.m. to midnight for, for a couple weeks because I had a goal in mind. I knew if we could get the house ready, we could sell it quickly and we could move to Durham and, and do the ministry that God called us to do at Waypoint and, and at Duke. So I had this goal and I had and I just did it. And I thankful to, to Jordan and Patrick. Ryan. A lot of you helped me do it. I really couldn't do it on my own. And I started calling people in desperation. And there's some really great people here at Waypoint who just love to serve. And they came alongside me and, and helped me do this. Um, so th those things consumed me. Um, and, but I want to ask you, what, what motivates you or what motivates people? I really think in our culture, money motivates. Money is the driving force for everything. I, th I think it's always been that way. If you read Jesus' words, he talks about money all the time uh, because money is really where our treasure is our heart is also jesus says that and and we know it's true but i was thinking about this example what if to work at the durham garbage dump i have no idea what they do there but i know they sort garbage you got paid forty thousand dollars a year how many people would sign up for that job there'd be some people right i have no idea what it pays now what if it paid eighty thousand dollars a year how many how how the applicant pool would jump what if it paid $200,000 a year, and if you did it for 10 years, you got $200,000 for the rest of your life? I mean, Duke, people would be leaving Duke, professors would be leaving Duke to go do that. So there's something about money that motivates us that we would be willing to literally do anything, even stuff that we would never do if, if there wasn't that motivation there. Then I was thinking about power. 
Some people struggle with power. Most of us who aren't in positions of power, you know, maybe we don't, but historically, money, power, but ultimately I feel like for us as Americans, it's about comfort. And I think money brings comfort, power might bring comfort, so it's about the freedom to do what we wanna do when we wanna do it. Um, high school Danny, the high school version of myself, I had a goal that I was like, I wanna do the job that works the least and makes the most money. So I started investigating and I, I landed on chiropractor. Like, cause it's, I'm, I'm not, chiropractors are awesome and they help people, but I spent like my junior year of high school researching who helps, who has a generally helpful job, they get to help people. Chiropractic school at the time, I don't know about now, was much easier than medical school, easier to get into. So I was like this, and then I met a chiropractor, I kind of interviewed him, you know how they ask you to interview people in a career field. He worked about three and a half days a week. I don't know, made, made pretty good money, went golfing on the other day, so I, that was me. That was my path that I decided for my life. And it, you know, I took organic chemistry too in college and realized, and the pre-med class, and my advisor's like, this isn't for you, Danny. Uh, <laughs> so it crushed my dreams, but at the same time, God was working my heart and showing me that I had gifts in ministry, and that I had gifts in crossing cultures. I had no idea that I would end up as someone who lived overseas for many years and, and spends their lives crossing cultures and working with people from many nations. But God had put those seeds in me when I was a little child and I got to see them come out. But so, so I feel it. So why I'm bringing this up is you ever seen those commercials like Fidelity and all these investments and they show this guy and he's like a grandpa and he's, he's saved all this money and because he's done these things, his life is great and his grandkids are great. I, I think there's this something about America and other countries too, that, that sets us on this path that says, if you just do these things, everything's gonna be okay. And I think if, if we really think about worship, that thing that points us in that direction becomes our worship. It becomes the thing that consumes us. And, and, and hear me out. I don't wanna say to anyone to not have enough money to meet your needs. That's not what I'm saying here. I, some people literally have to work 80 and 90 hours just to pay the bills. And I, I wanna pray that for justice and pray for ways that that won't be a reality for anybody in the world anywhere. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when we get something, we always want a little more. And I'm talking about that motivation that sometimes we just, I'm not, we just want more. And we think what I have, if I just had a little more, I would be happy. If I just had a little more, everything would be okay. And, and I'm trying to build a case that, that our devotion to money and comfort is a major problem for all of us. And, and we'll always seek that, and it will become our major object of worship. And I, I believe that's why Jesus brings it up so many times. And I believe Jesus's words 2,000 years ago are just as relevant for us today. So I wanna think through this and think through worship. And if, if generally our culture will steer, steer us toward worshiping the ability to get comfort, to have all our needs met always and always be comfortable. If that's, that's what our culture says is the ultimate thing to, to do, to move toward, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, and those aren't bad things, hear me out. I don't, I don't want anybody, I, I want everyone to have, have a good life and, and enjoy family and, and have things. But if that's what our culture is pushing us toward, that's where our worship generally goes. That's where we end up. If we don't, if we just do nothing, that's where, we'll, where we will steer, and that's where the culture will allow us to steer. So here at Waypoint, we have these values, and, and the value for worship, I wanna, I'm gonna put up on the screen, is it says, 
We believe we were created to worship God and enjoy fellowship with him forever. And as new creations in Christ Jesus, we desire the Spirit to reveal to us more fully the majesty of God and to rightly proclaim his worth in all areas of our lives. Both individual and corporate worship are essential to the life and health of all God's people. So here at Waypoint, we're saying, this is what we believe worship is. And this was taken, crafted from, uh, from some different biblical uh, passages and, and some other, other theologians' words, and we put them together trying to, it's too long, but we couldn't get it any shorter than this. So we, we want to be a people of worship. We want to, so I want to answer three questions this morning. What is worship? Why do we worship? And how do we worship? So question one, what is worship? So the Oxford Dictionary says, uh, worship is the feeling or expression of reverence or adoration for a deity. So that's kind of the religious word. Or acts of rites, a formal expression of reverence toward this deity. It's also, this is a second definition in Oxford. It says, adoration or devotion comparable to religious homage shown toward a person or principle. So the dictionary is acknowledging that there's sp like religious worship, but then in our culture, you can also worship something else. Like say, you know, they worship that band or you, you can use the term worship to describe devotion, intense devotion. In Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says to show honor or reverence for a divine being. But then it, it has this definition. It says to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor or devotion. That's worship. And the example that the dictionary gives is uh, a celebrity is worshiped by her fans. This is in the dictionary. This, you know, I didn't, I didn't make these up. Um, another one says uh, extravagant respect or admiration for a devotion or devotion to an object of esteem, like worship of the dollar. So these, we're, we're gonna worship something. And this is the world's definition of worship. It can be religious or it can be secular. The dictionary is acknowledging that we can literally worship a person or we can worship money, just like people historically have worshiped God. But what about for us as followers of Jesus? People who believe the Bible is true and God's word is for us to know him and to know how to follow him and worship him. What is Christian worship? C.S. Lewis uh, concerning Christian worship says this, in the process of being worshiped, God communicates his presence to men. So there's something about this relationship that God made with us where we're to worship him and he communicates to us through our worshiping of him and, and focusing not on these other things, but focusing on him. I love this definition. This is Richard Foster. And he's, he's talking about the posture of worship. He says, the Bible describes worship in physical terms. The root of the meaning for the Hebrew word, as we translate worship, is to prostrate, literally to lay on the ground. That's the Hebrew word for worship. The word bless literally means to kneel. Thanksgiving re refers, the Hebrew word for thanksgiving is an extension of the hands. Throughout the scriptures, we find a variety of physical postures in connection with worship. Lying prostrate, standing, kneeling, lifting our hands, clapping our hands, lifting our heads, bowing our heads, dancing, wearing sackcloth and ashes. The point is that we are to offer God's our bodies as well as the rest of our beings. Worship is appropriately physical. And for us as God's people, worship is part of who we are. It's, it's literally what we were created to do. When we were created in the garden, we were created to be in fellowship with God and to have this union with him. And worship is how we do that.
A.W. Tozier says, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. And now, on a different note, researcher George Barna, who spent 30 years studying patterns and behaviors in the American church. This is what he says on, respons on responsibility to worship. This is George Barna after many, many years of studies and multiple research, you know, he did extensive research. Most adults will contend that a Christian has a responsibility to worship God. However, when asked to define what that worship means, two out of three, 66%, are unable to offer an appropriate definition or description of worship. So 66% really don't understand what Christian worship is. And maybe some of you in this room might feel that that's you. And today, it's not a magical sermon today, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you begin to understand what worship is. Because I, I don't want that to be waypoint. I don't want most of us, if someone says, hey, why do you go to church and worship? You know, a friend from work asks. I want you to be able to answer that with excitement and joy. Just like when someone says, hey, Danny, tell me about, you know, when Auburn beat Alabama in the kick six game, or tell me when Auburn won the national championship, or tell me about the game last night. I could tell you every detail of those games, and we should be able to tell every detail about why we worship God. So that, that's, what, that's our desire as Waypoint, is we want to get you guys to a point where, where worship is just such a part of who you are that it, you, it's just overflowing through you, and, and it can be that way. And even if you feel far from God, let's pray today that you begin to move back toward Him. Uh, Here's another quote from Barna, from George Barna, the researcher. For most, Ameri most Americans, worship is to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God's. Amazingly, few worship service regulars argue that worship is something they do primarily for God. A substantially larger percentage of American attenders claim that attending a worship service is something they do for personal benefit and pleasure. Now, it's not bad to get, we're gonna get pleasure because we're worshiping God. But what's the root of why we're doing it? That's, that's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to say, do we really, if we really knew the majesty of God, we, our, our posture would change. So this is the reality of the church in America. So right here at Waypoint, we're not trying to criticize other churches. We're just saying God's called us to this congregation today. Are we gonna be a people who worship God? Um, so that's, that's the premise, and that's answering the first question, like, what is worship? And what is Christian worship? Um, the next question, why do we worship? Pastor Eric, in his introduction this morning, kind of explained it, but we worship because we're worshiping beings. We always worship something. Um, that's just who we are. We wake up, every, every decision we make every day is moving towards some kind of goal, and as Christians, we're called to worship God. So we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he gives us the other things. But our natural tendency is to go for the other things, and maybe if we have time to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So I think maybe the question isn't that why do we worship? Because we just worship. We're a worshiping people. I'll go back. This will be my last football illustration, I promise. But growing up in SEC land... Uh, I grew up in, the, in Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, and went to Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, all kinds of churches. And most of the time in my childhood, the men would just kind of stand there like bump on, bumps on a log during the singing. I mean, it was a common trend in every church I went to. I don't know when men stopped singing, but in my childhood, men didn't sing in church. Um, 
But those same men would bark for the Georgia Bulldogs or howl for the Auburn Tigers, you know. And Louis Giglio, one of the leaders of bringing worship back, his da- he grew up an Auburn fan. He grew up in Atlanta. His dad was a big Auburn fan. Uh, he literally called men of the SEC out and said, and probably you could say ACC basketball men too if, if we want to. And he said, you guys will will bark and scream and howl and stay up all night for your team. And then you'll come Sunday morning and stand there like a bump on a log. And some people would say, well, we're not charismatic or whatever our church, it's, it's because the music's boring because of the organ. That was one of the excuses. You know, I was at a service, so our church, I worked at a church that was pretty boring. We had the organ. The first service was definitely boring. And, and nobody sang. Like the choir was singing and the organ and the choir director's up there, you know, doing this. And everybody was like, oh, my dear. I mean, it was dead. So I thought, I didn't know. I, th- I really thought it was the organ, too. I'm, I'm a 26-year-old, 25-year-old youth pastor. Richard Foster, the same guy I quoted earlier, has this conference at our church. And he just needed to use a building. So he used our church. Had about 600 people. 600 people came who were filled with the Spirit. Same or He didn't even bring a band. Same organ. Same hymns. Everybody singing at the top of their lungs. It was, it was probably the most powerful worship thing I'd ever heard in my life. I mean, literally, same song, same organ, just the people were ready to come and worship God. The people who were there at that conference that day. So if we can go to football games and basketball games and worship, can, can, we, can we get that excited about God? We should, because God is worthy of our worship. We were created as worshiping beings, to be beings who worship something, and we were created to worship God. So the question is maybe not, why do we worship, but who should we worship? What should we worship? Now, what I'm going to do is just for the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to say, give you some, some answers from some pastors and theologians. Some really, I found some amazing descriptions of worship. So this is theologian Robert Weber. It's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along. Worship stands at the center of the church's life and mission. It is the summit toward which the church moves and the source from which all its ministries flow. It's the most important action the church is about. Worship informs the church's teaching, gives shape to its evangelistic mission of the world, to the world, and compels the church towards social action. Worship is the context in which the true fellowship of Christ's body is realized and where those who participate can find real healing. The single most important thing the church can do is worship. A vibrant worship life will glorify God, edify the faithful, and encourage the salvation is a means to an end, with worship being the end itself. We are saved to worship God now and eternally, our public worship being a foretaste of the heavenly worship that awaits us. Now, this is one of my favorite quotes ever. I'm going to read Pastor John Piper. He says, worship is the goal. Therefore, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that is why we go, because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus. And we want all the families of earth included. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 27, 22, 27. Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship. You can't command what you don't cherish. You can't commend what you don't cherish. 
You can't proclaim what you don't prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, Worship is ultimately for God's glory. He is the most important audience at every service. Corporate worship is meant to be an anticipation of the heavenly gathering of God's people. The grand scenes of heavenly, scenes of heavenly worship in Revelation are both present and future. We too should direct our attention to the throne. We too should sing of Christ's work. We too should be earnest and uncompromising in our devotion to God. Our weekly gatherings, whether small or large, beautiful or forgettable, are meant to be a sweet foretaste of the heavenly worship we will one day experience for ages unending. And Kevin DeYoung goes on to say that, the, that worship is focused on the gospel of Christ. The gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is what makes worship possible. The gospel is what we proclaim in worship. The gospel is what we sing in worship. The gospel is what calls the people together in worship, inspires the people to praise and worship, and sends people out in a life of worship. Every Sunday is another opportunity to sing about the cross, glory in our Redeemer, and marvel at the good news that Christ is for us and in us. Amen. I could just end the, what do they say, drop the mic or whatever. I could end the service here. But I want to get to the word. Those are peoples. These are people who fell in love with God. And I promise you, if you met them, their lives were just as messy and as messed up as yours. They, would, they wrote this at a moment of joy, but maybe the night before they were struggling. But that's okay, because God is with us and he's for us and, and he knows that. But we, we can be a people who worship God. These aren't superhumans. They're just people like me and you who, who one day just fell in love with God and, and wrote that down because they've, they've been studying his word and God's called them to, to be theologians and pastors. But you can have that same joy in your own heart, in your own life. Now let's look at the end of Luke's gospel. David read it a few minutes ago. It says, then Jesus opened their minds. So this is Jesus at the end of his ministry. He's about to ascend to heaven. He's been, he's died on the cross He's resurrected, and he spends about 40 days with them, with his, his followers, and he teaches them. Then Jesus opened their minds to understanding the scripture, and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his names to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses to these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as the Father has promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then it says, while Jesus was blessing them, and, and then in verse 52 it says, uh, then he was, in 51, the end of 51, he was taken to heaven and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And then the Spirit comes at Pentecost and they, people tell people who tell people and we're here today because of that meeting, because they worshiped Jesus. This is the beginning of it. So who do we worship? We worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For who He is, for what He has done, for what He is doing in us and through us as individuals and as, his, as a corporate people, as His church. And we worship Him for our, our eternal hope that we get to dwell with Him forever. So this is weighty stuff, but it's good stuff. 
Let's go to question three. How do we worship? This is the, you know, okay, Danny, you've told us why. How are we to worship? Do we, you know, there's lots of styles of worship. There's, there's lots of ways. What does the New Testament teach us? How are we to, to worship God? And as I studied this over the last couple of weeks, I really landed on Romans 12 as the best place to start. And if you know anything about the book of Romans, Romans 1 through 11 is, is basically presenting the gospel. It's basically like, this is how good God was when he created the world. And this is how we rebelled against him. And it, it basically traces the story of human history, the story from Adam. And then it says, but God had a plan to redeem and save people who rebelled against him. And it talks about the covenant God makes with Abraham and the promise and the covenant he makes with Moses and how Jesus fulfills all this. And that the plan always was for the gospel to be for all people. So that's kind of Romans 1 through 11. It sets it up and it says, even though we were rebellious against God, God was merciful toward us. And then there's this, and then it just talks about the mystery of, of how much God loves us and how hard it's to even comprehend this love and the good gift he gave us. And then Romans 12 tells us this. Therefore, because of everything I said, because of this good news, that even though you rebelled against God, God died, he, he came and he died himself to save you. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything he's done for you, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So where does Paul start with what is worship? He starts with this offer, saying, thank you, God, for saving me. Now I want to offer my body as a sacrifice to you. That is where worship begins. We're not, we don't do all these things to be saved, but because we're saved, because of his mercy, we can now offer our body as a living sacrifice. And this is our true and proper worship. So I really feel like this is the beginning of worship is, is us. And then going into verse two, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it starts with this idea of understanding God's mercy. And then it says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's what worship is. It's us trusting God and then he'll guide and direct our steps. And if you look at the rest of Romans, he's basically telling them how to live as believers individually, how to live in light of God's mercy, what to do, how, how to be the body of Christ, how to live individually, and then how to live as the body of Christ. And Romans 12 through 16 is a fascinating example of, it is, it's just beautiful because we get this picture of what it looks like to wrestle and to be a Christian and to be in community and to struggle, but to, to trust that God has a plan and we can truly worship him through our life, through what we do each day, through how we live and together as the body of Christ. Um, the next passage I want us to look at. So at the, at the end of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, a Greek city in the Roman Empire. So this is a different letter, and Paul, this is how Paul kind of leaves them. He's like, in light of the gospel, here's what you should do. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the, what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, 
Sing and make music from your heart for the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father in everything, for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul asking us to do? He's saying, don't do this. You know, don't live for yourself. Don't be foolish. Don't be the person who is looking at the world for direction. But be the person who is following Christ. And how do you have this lifestyle of worship? How do you, 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 you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and guide you and direct you? And then, what are some practical steps? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. You all like musicals? How many of you, Pastor Lawrence, our senior pastor, lead pastor, he really likes musicals. Actually, whenever we have a karaoke night, he's up here embarrassing himself, singing. But I, I remember the first time I, I saw like Sound of Music as a kid. I thought it was weird because they just, they were walking around talking and then they just start singing. But there's, there's something about music that maybe our modern culture takes for granted because we love music. We have, you know, all of us listen to music in the car. We'll turn on the radio. So, so we love music, but I think we forget that music is, has a power over us and a power to really influence us. And we need to be kind of like the people in a musical where at any moment we can just start singing. And uh, some, I, don't, I have a terrible voice. I can't sing in tune. So I, I could do it lightly and, and low so that other people don't hear me. I always, when we, when we used to meet at Cedar Fork Church before we met here, it's a really small church. And sometimes I'd sit in the first row and I really thought if I sing off tune, I mean, literally like the band would be here and I would be about where Gina was. And I was like, if I sing off tune, I'm wondering if I might actually mess up the band. So I was worried about it. I asked Gina Yu, who's one of our worship leaders, I asked her, say, when I sing, do, do I mess you up? She's like, I don't even notice. But I was scared. But I, I, I bring this up. That's a, a stupid uh, illustration. But I bring this up because are we, do we fill our lives with the things of God? When you, go to, when you run to something, when you run to Netflix or to your, your, your phone and the music, what, what are the things that you're filling yourself with? I'm not saying that you only have to listen to watch Christian TV or whatever. Actually, some Christian TV is a little crazy or whatever. I, I, be, use discernment. I, I'm saying that what are you filling your mind with? Is, is this who you are? Are you this person? And where to start? Maybe just fill your phone with praise songs that you like. You don't have to like every Christian song or every praise song, but find some that you like. Nathan, our worship leader, would love to talk to you about it or some of the other people who actually are, like praise music. Uh, Phil, you can get the Bible on audio. You can listen to chapters of Colossians or Ephesians, some of the more encouraging letters are, and as you're going throughout your day. So fill your mind, fill your body. So part of this, so I feel like Romans 12 and this Ephesians 5 passage are giving us a, some insight on how to be a people who worship individually. Like, what are, what are some ways, and this is moving into even encouraging each other. Um, and then the next thing I want to talk about is how do we worship as a group? Um, now, how many of you have been to multiple types of worship styles? All, almost everybody in here. There's some churches that are very high church, liturgical. Then there's some churches that are low church, just go with the spirit, you know, and, and literally everything in between. Uh, so I, I can't, and, and part of why that is, is because the New Testament doesn't give a clear, uh, this is how you should worship. In Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus, you get some really clear pictures of how the, the people of Abraham were supposed to worship God. Even then, there was some freedom. There was some ways that they adjusted. 
But in, in the New Testament, generally, it's not telling us you have to do this, this, and this. So we get some insight, and, and it gives us a lot of ways of, of how we can worship God with individually and as a group. So I want to look at the, the first church ever. So this is after Jesus has resurrected, he's ascended, the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost, and this is the end of Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So they did five things at that first meeting. Those five things led them to a deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and the believers met together in the place and shared, met together in one place, shared everything. So those five things, the gathering and doing those five things, led them to do some outreach, led them to go out and do other things, to perform miracles, to pray for people, to sell stuff and share with the poor, share with those in need. They worshiped 46. They worshiped at the temple each day. So a lot of people say, you know, talk about house church, and actually when they get kicked out of the temple later and when the temple's destroyed and they get kicked out of the synagogues, then all the churches are in houses for about 200 years. But there was a time when they met in houses for meals, but they also went to the temple to worship. So even that's not saying one's better than the other. They're just worshiping God. Um, and then it says they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They practiced the Lord's Supper all the time. You know that before the, even Luther himself practiced the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And then during the process of the Reformation, people began to move away from it to the point where when I was growing up, some Baptists and, and more non-denominational or Pentecostal churches would only do the Lord's Supper two or three times a year. So we went from doing it almost every week to rarely doing it at all. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. Just, just looking at it as they did it. They practiced the Lord's Supper. We're actually going to do communion this, this morning as a congregation. Here at Waypoint, we, we, we landed on once a month. We feel like that's a good way for us to, to use it in our worship and, and to always come together. Most of the time, it's the first Sunday of the month. Sometimes we change it so that those who work in children's ministry the first Sunday can also be a part of it so they don't miss it every time. Uh, so, so you see that this is what the first church did, but teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, the Lord's Supper and prayer. And then there's a passage in Hebrews 10, and Lawrence has really been looking at this one a lot and sharing it with the staff. We shared it at the small group leaders meeting. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate, and this is New Living Translation. The NIV says spur on, and the ESV says stir up. So we were talking about this in our staff meeting. So stir up is pretty cool, the imagery of stirring up because it's like all the stuff on the bottom, if you stir it up, it comes to the top. So maybe some, how many of you need to be stirred up right now? You know, I do. Like, it's good, we motivate each other. We spur each other on to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect meeting together. So it's kind of this individually worshiping God, doing these things, meeting together as a group, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I mean, they were anticipating his return. This was 1900 years ago. And we're still anticipating the return of Christ. So what about us as Waypoint? How are we to worship? Like I said, the New Testament scholars are in general agreement that there's no specific way to do worship. So churches throughout the ages have created ways to help local people worship. And I personally believe that this allows the gospel to spread and penetrate every culture and every people group quickly. Do you guys know that Jesus spoke Aramaic and the New Testament is written in Greek? Why? Because Greek was a more common language. 
So the goal wasn't to preserve the original language that Jesus spoke in. The goal was to get the message out to as many people as fast as possible. So I believe that there's no like, you gotta do this, this, and this, so that the gospel can go to every culture quickly because there's essential things that we need to do as his people. And I've had the, the joy of seeing brothers and sisters in China literally meeting in apartments. I've been to Thailand and seen a, a Thai church Meet, meet in a small apartment because they couldn't afford a building. One, and then I went to another one that met in a hotel ballroom because that's all they could afford. I've been in Honduras where they could, they, a group from the outside helped build them a building, just a concrete building, a little smaller than this. And I literally, I'll tell you a funny story. So we did VBS during the week and we invited all the kids from the neighborhood and they loved us. And one of the kids we kind of fell in love with, he didn't, his parents didn't go to church. His, his dad was far away and his mom didn't go but he knew we were gonna be at the church that morning and Pastor Silvio was up there preaching and he just keeps going. He's just preaching and preaching and the kids are you know, roaming around. And our little guy, I think his name was Jose, he, he only had a shirt on. He didn't have any, anything else on, only a shirt. And he runs down the middle and comes and sits in one of our laps because you know, you know, he just, he wanted to see us. And Pastor Silvio, that's his congregation. Those are his people. He's, that's, that's who he loves. You know, Pastor Silvio also has to, he has a farm, a big farm. So he, he pastors and then he runs a farm because he needed, I mean, he grows vegetables because he needs to make money and, and serve the community, serve the widows. So that's what he does. That's his context. His worship style was radically different than anything I'd ever seen, but that's okay. Because was he praying? Was he pointing people toward Christ? Were they celebrating the Lord's Supper? They were doing that. They were singing. They were enjoying each other. They were fellowshipping. I love the, the, the black church in America. I grew up in the South and I've been invited to a few and they literally do this Acts 2 thing. Like they have a meal. The Korean church does this too. It starts at like nine and they're not out Sunday till like four. And it's, it's a little bit of worship, a little bit of singing, preaching. Like it's, it's awesome. It's they're, actually, they're probably the closest I've seen to Acts 2. I've been to... So I, I believe that God did this intentionally so that the gospel could just go out. It's not like you have to worship this way. At Waypoint, we've come to the realization that we're going to have welcome. We're going to greet one another because you all come late anyway, so we might as well just <laughs> incorporate it in. A lot of people have children. We have a high percentage of children, and it's, it's hard to get them in. We're going to sing songs. Now, our worship style is radical. I mean, we'll sing one song that's like, one style and then the next week we're singing this style we, we we're just going to sing and praise god with the gifts and the talents of the people that he brought to our congregation we're going to pray together as a congregation one thing we also have a high commitment of is we want you to hear the word of god read out loud that's why we read these long passages we're going to practice the lord's supper we're going to sing more songs we're going to give our offerings to god we're going to give money back to him now a lot of people do that online so it's not as effective on Sunday morning as it, as it, it doesn't feel the same, but it's, it's still the same idea. We're going to provide outreach opportunities and we're going to send you out. But we also want you to think of your small groups and your weekly gatherings as part of worship too, and how you live your life. So that's all I'm going to say. At Waypoint, we're, we're a moving target. We're, we're, we're always asking God for new ways to just help you guys worship. Sometimes we're going to do liturgy. You might show up one Sunday morning and you're like, what is this, Anglican? You show up another and we're like, Black gospel church. I mean, God is, we, we don't know. We're just going to keep trusting him and using the gifts and the people he's given us and how to worship him. I'm going to end with this picture from the last chapter of the Bible. This is Revelation 22. 
verses 1 through 5. This is, this is our goal. So my goal for fixing my house was to sell it to make money to buy a new house. My goal for, you know, everything, everybody's always working towards something. What are we working toward? Why is it so good to worship God? Because ultimately, this is, this is our destiny. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus Christ. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is ultimately everything we want. Everything we want is summed up in this, because you may think, I don't even want that, but you do want this, because this is what we were created for. And our desire to do all these other things, God, God wants to give you these things. The reason why there's good things in this world is because God is good. But ultimately, this is our destiny. Let's worship him.